to Books and Beyond with your hosts, Karen and Louisa. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl, and she works in a library, yeah. Kia ora. I'm here today with author Margie Thompson. Kia ora, Margie. It's wonderful to have you here. Kia ora, Karen. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, our pleasure. And we also have another 53 women here with us, albeit not in the room, but inside the covers of Margie's new book, Womankind. So that's 53 inspiring women whose ranks include, just by a quick thing that I noted down, um, so this is a, a small percentage because I was so fascinated by the reading that I forget to note it down. <laughs> so just a few that I did remember to note down as I was reading. An athlete, a dancer, a policewoman, an actor, several poets and writers, three prime ministers, a photographer documenter. A palliative care nurse who helps people make their coffins, an artist, community service organizers, fighters for social justice, and a chief excitement officer who all have in common that they inspire you to terms of phrase, you, Margie, and then us who read your phrases, like tireless generosity, zest for change, and pursuit of a better world. Margie, I'm going to say I think tour de force is the word that I'm looking for here. Have they used that to you yet about your book? No, only you've used that, that <laughs> phrase. Thank you, Karen. It sounds like a Christmas carol when you read them all out like that. Oh, yeah, it does. The 12 days of Christmas, the 53 days of strong women. Um, a wonderfully so. I'm saying tour de force because there's the bigness, the importance, but also um, the beautiful writing and the beautiful illustrations, the photographs. So my question is, my opening question, how did the idea, how did the big idea for this tour de force come to you did you perceive of this book right away in the form that we're now seeing it or did it start from something else it was always going to be a big significant book penguin random wanted to do something to commemorate women in new zealand and it was a kind of a follow-on from what happened last year where uh, 2018 when we had the 125th anniversary of women getting the vote in New Zealand. Really big year, lots of celebrations. But then how do we take that further? And so they had this, it was a pretty general idea about doing some, something on, in that frame. And um, and so they gave it to me, which was really wonderful. And so I thought about that. I thought, well, okay, so who were the suffragettes? Who were they? And And I thought, well, there's a simple answer to that. They were women who looked at the world that they lived in and they saw something that needed to change and they went out and changed it. And so that was that that was just my paradigm. That became my little working paradigm for the book. And so I thought, well, who are the women today in our world who are who are doing that? And so that that became the the kind of you know the little the kernel behind the stimulus. Yeah. It's um it's interesting because I noticed at the library also because when we very first started this show one of the very first shows we did was inspiring women mm. and there was at the time a plethora of books coming out which were about um rebel the rebel stories for good night girl good night yes. stories for rebel girls you know all these were a whole lot of books coming out for to inspire girls to be the most they could be and show them what great women had done in the past. But this is showing us great women today mm. who um, would actually probably not want to even use the term great women about themselves. 
No, no, I think, and there's a sort of personal aspect to this too, because, I mean, like everyone else at the moment, you know, I'm so aware of all the things that we've got to worry about in, our, in this world of ours. You know, we're all concerned about climate change, you know, we're concerned about poverty. We, you know, we feel a little out of control, perhaps, with the way that things are. And so I realise that the time I feel least worried, the time when I feel most optimistic, is when I'm either doing something, you know, to make things better, or I'm watching other other people do stuff. It makes me feel like this this is this is where our hope lies, and so so the book was kind of sparked by that as well. Yeah, you know? I think mm. it's just it's, if anything, it's more inspiring. If I'm thinking back of you know giving my daughter the books about famous women of the past, and my parents did it to me, Marie Curie mm. biographies <laughs> galore. But um, the fact that you actually is such a real um, consideration of their lives because they are alive and present and speaking to you so all the facets are there it's not just the things they remain famous for 100 years ago you're actually showing that these things can come out of very normal common backgrounds of 100 million kinds yeah that's right Uh, well so let's just talk about the diversity in the book i suppose because that's that's what you're talking about so so having having had that 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 basic concept it was then well how on earth do you go about choosing is this it's almost impossible you know there's so many incredible people so i i knew that i wanted it to look as much like our world today as i could and that involved um a diversity of ages so i did myself a, a grid and i had it and age was my first defining thing i needed to have there were like eight basic decades and i needed to have about the same number of women in each decade and then to start with i was thinking of sectors sector interests like education health science that's a where women might be represented but as the book went on it became more about the issues that they represented so more about climate change or um refugees or you know racism racism those those sorts of things um and choosing women on that basis and then it's sort of like you start to realize that that people they're just doing their thing within the world within their own little patch of the world that they find themselves in so i've lost my track slightly here with the question that that we were talking about no i think you're absolutely exactly right because the diversity was one of the things that i was aiming at um in my question which was there there's two uh layers as you read the book so one is hearing about specific actions that if um start put in process put in place a process for change and the other is just the fact that there is such a diverse number of ways and places and um backgrounds that can lead to people doing this Mm. yes and i suppose i mean what 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 i've ended up with with the particular mix that you know that resulted in this book was some women that we've all heard of you know the really well-known ones the three prime ministers for instance but there are other women in there that we may not have heard of and who are just doing their thing within their own little little patch so an example of that would be Erina Severn who's a young she's in her well she's in her mid-20s now but she's um, a young Maori woman she works for the Waikato DHB and she finds healthy homes for, for families whose children have you know have become ill and who are in hospital it's an amazing work that she does and she's such an incredible young leader and 
and yet she's not famous. She's not someone that you read about in headlines. I came across her just simply by chance because I sat next to her in the plane and got talk, talking to her a couple of years before I did this book. But when I started to do this book, I thought of her. And she was a perfect person, really, because she's just someone who's within the power that she holds in her person. She's just doing some good. No. Yeah, it's um, because I believe it's in that story where she talks about the children coming back time and time again. You start to notice that you might need to be thinking about the family situation if you notice children coming in um, repeatedly from the same household. Maybe they don't have good heating in their house or maybe there's an overcrowded house or maybe it's this or that. And um, it's it's really there's statistics about how things have changed through her program that are just yes. um, amazing. I can't remember what the statistics are yeah. at this moment, but but it's really dramatic you know so yeah. so the doctors will feed to, to her the information that a child has come in sick and maybe has come in sick more than once from the same family and and so she then goes and finds you know finds a a nice dry warm house for them to live in and the, the fall off of illness is, is absolutely dramatic yeah. yeah it's actually that um the collaboration with the doctors sort of brings up another point which is that none of these people operate in a you know the no man is an island none of them operate on their own and i think that's a sense that really comes through in this how mm. it's always through a community yeah that's really true and one of the one of the examples that i really love is the daltons um adrian dalton from the tafangai trust down in the south of auckland actually they're based they run a horticultural project where and they um, they turn their farm into a into a plant nursery, and the people that work in that plant nursery are people who are fed to them through corrections or um, wins. Pe- people who um, are really at the tail end of the system, you know, who don't really have any opportunities in the mainstream, um, who are in grave danger of falling off the system altogether. And they come to, to Fungi Trust and they learn um, they learn how to nurture plants. And they become work work ready, but also ready in themselves as people. They gain confidence, and so it's so you're right. It's it's about, it, but it's really about Adrian Dalton's incredible building of relationships with all the you know community organisations and government agencies around her. Mm. Yeah, it's um, the fact that you have a vision, but to be able to accomplish that vision, you need also certain skills that probably people, these people are inventing as they go along which is so admirable yes, and not everybody came from a background that taught them how to get some support from public agencies Oh no, 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 and actually a really good example of that is Marnie Prickett, the water campaigner she's an amazing young woman, she she went and she, she, she became aware of the dire state of New Zealand's waterways and she thought what can I do about this and she'd never run a campaign she hadn't been political at all, but she um, she just learned how to do it. She she realised that if you ask people, they'll tell you. So she she got together with a couple of other people who also had no experience, and together they researched the issues that they wanted that they were passionate about, and they talked to people who had run campaigns. And they, they just learnt how to do it. And then they ran a really amazing campaign. So they started from, from zero. Really. Yeah. And I thought, I thought it's a really inspiring story. You yeah, it um, touches on one of the main themes that I noticed in the book, which is the self-belief, which is the fact that some people had that nurtured as they were growing up, depending on the, the, their families, the, how many privileges, how much time their parents had to spend with them and, and the circumstances, mm-hmm. also the financial and economic 
um, social circumstances in which they found themselves. And a lot of these women are um, are passing that on in some ways they found self-belief whether by family tradition or by choices they made in their life and they're trying to nurture that in uh, other people because self-belief is so important you can the vision is great if you have it but if you don't have the self-belief to think that that can lead somewhere Mm. i'm just trying to think who personifies that self-belief because it's not really something that they talked about in those terms that I can remember, I think really, really talking to, like, one of the pleasures of doing these interviews was that I was talking to every woman about their values, you know, about the that intrinsic part of themselves that drives them on in the world. And I think when you talk to people at, on that level, that's where you find an incredible commonality. So there are women in here who are very diverse in terms of their political beliefs. You know, there's some Green Party people, but there's a national party. There's Ginny Shipley as well. Yeah, that was know. a real eye-opener for me. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so really, the, but, the, but when, you break, when you come down to it, the values that people hold is really what yes. gives them their sense of themselves and maybe their, you know, their sense of self-belief, actually. Yeah. You don't have to believe, you don't have to worry too much about yourself if you're really clear about what you believe. Yeah, well, you don't have to navel-gaze, certainly. Yes, but that's right. <laughs> that's, but, yeah. And I think that's the thing. So, so I think if you, if you have very strong values, perhaps it helps you to look outwards yeah, slightly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm. I, I was thinking when I said self-belief and you said, I can't think of an example right now, and mm, I was remembering mm. Paris Gerbel, so oh, yes, she's got a know. lovely story where she's got yep. the mindset, her mindset, she says, is nothing is impossible. And that's what she's that's trying to true. teach the girls that come and dance at her studio. And um, she, her, she's got a slogan, be creative, be inspired, be you. Yes, actually, no, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, so she's a brilliant example of self-belief, but also it's not just self-belief, is it? It's self-belief for young Pacifica women is very political, isn't it? Because yes, it the is, system, yeah. system would easily stamp that self-belief out of out of those young girls and those young women. But she's saying no, you know, and, it, and so it's a sort of political values-laden statement in a way. Yes, when you use the word stamp out, um, because the other phrase that I loved of hers is where she says she's looking for hunger and fire. And as someone who loves expressive (laughs) writing, I just, that was just hunger and fire. I just had to put down the book and go, yeah, you (laughs) say it again. She's pretty amazing. Don't stamp out the fire. So people who have that hunger and fire, it needs to be nurtured and not stamped out. Yeah, I think if you ever want to feel excited about the power that can reside in a a young woman, get online and watch some of her dance videos it's so powerful so sassy and along with that um we didn't actually mention the title of the book i think this is majorly important so womankind i Mm. might i'm just realized (laughs) margie i don't think i even said the name of the book when i said i've got margie's wonderful book here with 63 women in it um 53 women that um i didn't say so the name of this book everyone out there is womankind and you need to tell us a little bit about that because it's very okay. meaningful. Well, I can't really take any credit for that title at oh. all. It was a stroke of genius on the part of, um, of of Abby, who is the project manager of the book at Penguin Random. And she just it just came to her in a blinding flash, I think. And it was so right. It was the perfect title. I mean, I've I've struggled on other book projects to think of the right title. This one, it was just clearly the perfect title and it's been really interesting too because 
at the time that it's one of those things where the title perfectly represented what was emerging in the in the in the material within the book but once you had the title it really helped consolidate what the material in the book was going to be you know so it was a perfect relationship and i think that as we have all seen you know in the last month or so since the awful attacks in Christchurch where Jacinda has stepped up and talked a lot about kindness and compassion and those are exactly the kind of uh, concepts that are in this book and I think you know she's she really is the perfect figurehead for these ideas and she, in fact I think there's a quote from her on the inside flap of the book which says um, you can be strong and you can be kind and I, I think that that's you know she's she's really um it's an idea whose time has come yes. in a way, isn't it? Yeah, time mm. there was exactly the word I was mm. going to use about womankind in that second significance, not the, just the mankind, womankind, humanity, mm. but in the significance of being kind, um, being kind to others, looking outward, it's generosity. Because kind is really a word that had really fallen into, it sounded quite antiquated. Mm. You say the kind, it was kind of like a kind old lady <laughs> stopped me when I lost my bus fare or something, mm. you know. Mm. And I remember um, we have an old library card when I was looking for a, excuse me, a greeting card at the library and special collections. I was looking for a photo for Christmas time for um, the Auckland Library's Instagram and here was this old, century old Christmas card saying, kind thoughts. Maybe it was New Year's. Kind thoughts. And it sounded so antiquated, but it's really come out mm. I, something, as I grow older, it's more and more I realize what a fundamental um, quality mm. kindness is and well, I think we've been through thirty years of um, of an ide- of a kind of economic social ideology that's very much been about individuality, and so words like kindness and compassion are really the antithesis of that individuality of individualism, because they're about our relationship, our connections with the people around us, and that's an idea that I really like in the book. Actually, um, Alison Jones talks about it, and Alison Jones is a uh, an educational academic at Auckland University and she's written some books with Alison is a Pākehā woman but she's written some books with her very dear friend um, Kunika Jenkins who's a Māori educational academic and so they've really had to think very carefully about the nature of their relationship it's a very um, it's a very rich and but loaded relationship Pākehā Māori working together in that kind of sphere and Alison's developed the idea of the hyphen the hyphen being this little weenie mark on the page but it, it, it both divides and connects so you might have Māori hyphen Pākehā or self hyphen world and that idea of those relationships and the power of that hyphen that the, the little connector is, is a really potent part of the book and it's something that many women actually referred to in different ways and I think that, that words like kindness and compassion are actually held really nicely in that, in that hyphen because they're the things that connect us to, to each other. Yeah, they, there's. It's actually. I remember you who states it, or Alison, that where the activity is, what's really happening is in that hyphen. That's it's where the action is. The, that's where the action is. Exactly. And that's where yeah. the story is. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, what do you think? You know, we. I so, try so hard to avoid stereotypes, as we all do. Men, women. We know we have this thing. Women. It's been in literature forever. The woman per, the personality protagonist is the one who sees relationships. The men see individuals. Um, do we? 
think, you know, in the thing of the hyphen and the activity in the space of the hyphen, do we think that there is something about women that either in their lives or in their brain makeup or their experience, the way they've been treated, where they've learned to look underneath things that they actually do look more at that relationship area than... Oh, probably. Um, I mean, that, that's that's the thing we know about women, isn't it? That we're the ones who are about, you know, we guard the relationships, I suppose, you know, historically. Um, I don't know because agreeing with that implies that men don't do it, yes. and, I, and I don't, and I don't think that's true. And you know, I'd love to do a mankind book because, in, in a way, that would almost be more radical than than the idea of womankind. You know, I, but but certainly, you know, it's it's territory that women, you know, historically have occupied. Yeah, and I think actually when we were talking earlier, and you used the word service, and I thought, yeah, that's that's it's it's. That's that is again the territory that women occupy, isn't it? That idea of service to communities, to families, you know, that that kind of thing. So in a way, the book is is acknowledging that. Yeah, it does seem to me because you're exactly right. It's the tradition, the way that you can say without being ashamed that there's differences between men and women is the fact that tradition has led to forms of behavior. So if women were not achievers because they were not actually given jobs out in the big world and they could not become doctors or lawyers or or without great difficulty and only individually, then there is that way to look at other ways of being a service which aren't in the professions and being paid for. And a wonderful story of the... Um in your book of this search for equal pay with care home workers is a perfect example of that. Um, so, uh, well, there's so much to yeah. say. I'm, yeah. getting, I'm getting a little off track here, but what I'm trying to say is that women perhaps traditionally not having been out there in the big world, and this ties into the neoliberalism, and when you say what mm. a recent time period has looked like, it hasn't looked about kindness and compassion, it's looked about achieve, towards achievement and making money. Unfortunately, mm. we all know this, and this is what we're trying to um, grapple with now and say, was that actually good for us? Mm. And it's the questions these women are asking, And but instead of just asking them, they're actually, they've picked up and done something. They've rolled up their sleeves and done something, no matter how small it was when it started, or you know, but they've done something. It's so that's what I find so inspiring. Yeah, it's funny actually because um, as you're talking, I'm thinking of Jenny Shipley, who actually, in some ways, personifies the you know the neoliberal um, era, but in other ways, kind of doesn't. Once you start talking to her, uh, it, it was interesting to hear about her childhood. She grew up with uh, a father who was a minister in the church, and they'd have these big family dinners and they'd sit around her and her sisters and their, and their father would talk to them about being people of significance in the world and and it really didn't matter what that was whether it was being the prime minister or being a place center worker but to have that sense that you were an agent force in the world and you could do something. Yeah, know? that's yeah. when I said Jenny Shipley was when you mentioned her and I said that was mm. the eye-opening one for me. It wasn't so much... Well, first mm. it was eye-opening that you had included Jenny Shipley in the book because I did not know anything about Jenny Shipley and I had actually just arrived in, in New Zealand when she was Prime Minister so I didn't have a sense of New Zealand history yet so it was many years ago. But um, it was eye-opening as exactly as you say mm. to read about these facets of her life and um, it turned her into a 360-degree person which was actually um enlightening to actually think about that in terms of all women that you meet um well i just wanted to have that that i really wanted it to be clear that we we have different we we have different ideas and we have different ideologies and different politics from each other but 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 
But a lot of those differences are a small part of who we are and a lot of the things that are... That we often have a lot more in common than we have different. And when we start to talk about the values that drive us, that's, I think, where we find the things that can take us forward in a more positive way. Yeah, um, there's a lot of sense of the fact that... Uh, so Jeanette Finn simon says it really well when she talks about how um, she had worked so hard at getting measures passed politically to improve New Zealand or improve the lives of New Zealanders. And then when the National Party came to power, not, not referring back to Jenny Jen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, when they came to power and they basically repealed everything that she'd been working on for three years. And she says, I came to the conclusion that changing the culture changing hearts and minds is the only sustainable impact that you can have. Um, it was such a great phrase. It is actually, isn't it? I thought of that yesterday actually when Jacinda was saying that she couldn't do the, the capital gains tax and it was exactly that really. You know, she couldn't find the support out there in the general public. And um, I, I, think that, I think that that's right. You know, politicians make decisions on the basis of what they think they can get away with or what they think will be supported by us. It's up to us. Yeah, but it's also up to them to provide the kind of atmosphere where we are um, open to having new ideas, isn't it, and to changing our culture. So, you know, you look back at the um, Sue Bradford's in there with the mm. anti-smacking, and I remember that that was soon after I arrived in New Zealand and and it's really well written about there and about the misconceptions and how it was uh, mm. construed and now looking back it seems so it's so hard to believe that people were so opposed to something so fundamental but a lot of people's hearts and minds just saw that as a trigger mm. didn't they someone's trying to tell me how to raise my children was the Yes, that's right. I mean, she was so courageous to do that. She got so much vilification. But um, just the other day, I saw a statistic that showed that violence against children has dropped considerably since that legislation. You know, so I think, so yes, you're right. So that's a really good example of how the decisions that are made up there in Parliament can actually also affect the yeah. way that, that we all feel and think about yeah. things. So it's a dance. It is a dance. Yeah, that's it, for sure. It was a bit of a just barely mm. because there was mm. a, um, a very strong opposition, I remember, in in quiet, polite New Zealand. Mm. <laughs> it was probably the most angry that I'd seen as a political reaction, if not to the um, to the low-consuming low light bulbs came, which came. <laughs> oh, yes. That's right. But isn't she amazing, Sue Bradford? I mean, yeah. you know, a lifetime of fighting really difficult fights yeah i really you know she's she's a very courageous woman yeah, well all the women are inspiring um in and like i say the book shines such a light on so many aspects of new zealand where anybody who has an interest in helping other people can find an area it's not tied down to just um you know going out and doing a political support for a certain candidate is it no not not at all um actually one of the women in the book anjam raman her name came to prominence in the wake of the Christchurch killings because Anjam is um, she's, uh, she's the president of the Islamic Women's uh, Federation so she she did a lot of public speaking after that the massacre and sort of talked about her frustration at, at not having been listened to earlier but but in the book she's you know she's talking about very personal things about being a woman being a, a Muslim woman and what wearing the hijab means to her 
And I just think that's really so great, you know, to be able to hear people just talk openly about themselves and you get a sense of understanding and they stop seeing, they stop seeming like the other. Yeah, it's in, in some ways the book um, opens up to so many further stories. It's a very, as you say, you use the word living history in the introduction to the book. It is a living history. Um, it's not like those good night stories of Rebel Girls that looks back at Marie Curie. It is people who are living now, and that's one of the reasons why it's so inspiring. These are our, you know, this is part of our humanity in New Zealand. And I loved, um, who was it who said about New Zealand being so young? It was Lisa Rehana. Oh, yes. oh, lovely. One of my heroines. And it's, um, um, and she says, Aotearoa is one of the younger nations in the world. We're just teenagers and we're still grappling with our destiny. Yes. And, and I love that idea that, that you know, there's, there's so many different women in here and we're all such a diversity. We are a diverse culture, but we are all doing this together. We're building something. And I, and I think that's, that's, yeah, that's the fundamental thing behind it all. Well, beautifully said. Mm. And I know you can't even see the clock, but that's exactly the time we had for- <laughs> I don't know how you managed to do that. Second sense. Well done. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for coming. We didn't get a chance to talk about what you're doing next. Do you have a new book coming out? I do in May, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So everyone will be looking forward to that. Thank and, you, Karen. Oh, it's been so wonderful to have this chat. I hope I didn't come across as too... <laughs> I was just been so struck, starstruck by this book. Oh, it's very heartening and lovely for me. So thank you so much. So that's Womankind. Look for it at your local bookstore or your library. Thanks. Thanks again, Margie. Kia ora, everyone. Hi, this program was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and Catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day, every day, every day, every day.